0: I also wanted to mention to the guys real quick is that we do have a men's conference coming up, September 23, 4 and 5. So there's more information to that I just want to put that bug in your ear. All right, tonight we're gonna to be in Exodus. We're gonna continue on to chapter 24. And we're gonna look at nine to eighteen. But before we get into that, I wanna back up to verse seven kind of just recap for a second. Verse 7 out of Exodus 24. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of all the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. You'll remember that from last week. And verse 8. So Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. I was thinking about that and that we're easy to make statements. We will do this and we will do that. And really that's just a verbal contract and that can be debated. You know, he said, she said type things. But it's a little bit different when it is written down and you sign a contract. Amen? things become more real, more accountable. They become uh, more impressed in your mind that maybe I should follow through with those things. And, of course, we should. We should let our yes be yes and our no be no when we make an oath or a commitment or a covenant with somebody. Absolutely. We should do our best to follow through with that. But I was thinking about the contract aspect of it, and when I sign a contract, it makes a big difference. I was going to quote uh, Judge Judy, but I won't. Anyway, the gist of it is that, you know, if you write it down, you know, it's a lot more valuable in the courtroom than it is if it's just a verbal. So I I won't quote it, but I would hate to think that we had to resort to Judge Judy from the pulpit, but... Sometimes there's words of wisdom, in the, even in the secular world. Amen? So just don't hold that against me. So there's this covenant that's made, and they said, hey, we're going to do it, man. We're going to do what the Lord has said. And so the Lord is going to write it down on some tablets. And Moses is the one that's going to go. They're going to be giving it to Moses. So when we look at our text, I'm going to go ahead and read 9 through 18, and then we'll come back as we do. Verse 9, then Moses went up with Aaron, Nadad, and Abelu. I'm going to read these names with authority because that means that I know what I'm talking about, even if I don't. And 70 of the elders of Israel, verse 10, and they saw the God of Israel, and under his feet there appeared to be pavement of sapphire, as clear as the sky itself. Yet he did not stretch out his hand against the nobles of the sons of Israel, and they saw God, and they ate and drank. Verse 12, Now the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and remain there, and I will give you the stone tablets with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. So Moses arose with with Joshua, his servant. And Moses went up to the mountain of God. But, the, but to the elders, he said, wait here for us until we return. And behold, Aaron and her are with you. Whoever has a legal matter, let him approach them. Verse 15, then Moses went up to the mountain, and a cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord rested on the mountain Sinai, And the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, he called Moses from the midst of the cloud. And to the eyes of the sons of Israel, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the mountaintop. Verse 18, Moses entered the midst of the cloud and he went up to the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and forty knights, and all of God's children said, Amen. So when we look at verse 9, it says, So Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab, and Abu, and seven of the elders of Israel. So who are these? Who are these guys? Aaron is the high priest, and he's going to be the next successor to Moses. Nadab and who are the sons of Aaron. And the 70 elders are representative of their respective tribes. These 70 elders, divinely, they represent all of Israel. So now we have set the stage who the really players are in this set of uh, scriptures. We know there's Moses, Aaron, Hur. The other guys will be left behind, but then there's the 70 elders. So then in verse 10, it continues on and says, and they saw the God of Israel. Hmm, they saw the God of Israel. Now, this is one of the verses that the deniers of the faith or of the Bible used to challenge the inerrancy of it. And so we need to take just a minute to look at this in case this ever comes up with you in your debates or in your talks or in your fellowship. This is the first of a seeming contradiction. In Deuteronomy 4.12, we read, And the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. And the Lord spoke to you, and you heard the sound of the words, but saw no form. You only heard a voice. So what's that about? So the explanation of not seeing a form comes in Deuteronomy Four fifteen through eighteen, it says this: Take careful heed to yourselves, for you saw no form when the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire, lest you act corruptly. Listen to this: Lest you act corruptly and make for yourself a carved image of any form, the likeness of a male or a female the likeness of an animal that is on the earth or the likeness of a winged bird that flies in the air or the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground or the likeness of any fish that is in the water beneath the sea. So when I read that, it says, lest you act corruptly and you make these carved images. We're not supposed to make images and worship these images. There was already enough of that going on. And so it says that this is explained that the entire congregation of people in Deuteronomy, the people as a whole, were denied the privilege that the elders were granted. We're going to see that not everybody got to, and I'm going to see God, right? Because you can't see God. However, God can manifest Himself In ways that we can't see. Let me let me try to explain what I'm trying to say. My wife could walk across the back, and I would know it was my wife, but I couldn't see her face. And I could say to you, "I saw my wife walk by," but I didn't see her face. How do I know it's my wife? Well, because I know because of how she looks, her hair, what she wears, her mannerisms. Much like this, I believe, and trust me, I have wrestled with this until I'm done wrestling. I can be wrong. So this is only my opinion. I want to make that clear, right? We have to, one of the commentaries was so cool. He said, the commentary just said, read it the way that it's written. Yeah, they saw God. Okay. But we have to go a little bit deeper because that's one of the things the enemy uses against the Bible, the contradiction or so-called contradiction. It says that we went see the face of God. You'll remember with me that Moses, when he was up there, that God put a little cave for him to sit in as he walked by in his Shekinah glory. So he got to see the back of him, and it makes kind of sense to me that if there's a back of something, then there must be a front. And we're going to see here in this particular set of Scriptures that when he says that he's seen him, he's going to give a description. He sees his feet below what's below his feet. So obviously he must see his feet. He does not see his face. But God lets him see his feet, and he recognizes his feet because of his Shekinah glory. Are you with me? I hope I'm explaining this. Lord, help me the best that I can. Because to be honest with you, I don't truly understand it. But I know that my God can reveal himself any way that he wants to. At any time, at any given moment, he can reveal himself to me and to you if you let him. And so we hear how hey, we have Moses and Aaron and the rest of them going up the hill. Again, I want to reiterate that there's no contradiction here, there's nothing said of seeing the Lord's face at this time with the elders on Sinai. It simply says that they saw the God of Israel. And you'll remember that after that, Moses said he couldn't see his face. Or Moses was told that he couldn't see his face. And that's where, of course, he's seen the back. In the New Testament, two times we are told that seeing God is is not possible. In 1 John, Four twelve. It says, No one has seen God at any time. If we want, love one another, God abides in us, and His love has been perfected in us. So actually, if we're walking with God and being perfected by God, we can see the love of God through other people. First Timothy 6, 13 to 16 says, I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things, and before Christ Jesus, who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep His commandments without spot, blameless, until our Lord Jesus Christ appears, which He will manifest in His own time. He who is blessed and the only pundit, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, light, the brightness, the light. He is the light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and glory, everlasting power. And everybody said, Amen. These verses are speaking of God's power. God the Father, His divine essence, His Godhead. No man can see Jesus, as deity, but they can see His humanity. He walked among us for 33 years, give or take, and His humanity was on display. But it's interesting that He was revealing different things along the way. How was He doing that in healing the, healing the sick? raising the dead, opening the eyes of the blind, and opening the ears of the deaf, putting ears back on people. He was showing the Shekinah glory of God, even in His humanity. The author of Hebrews puts it this way in verses, or chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 3. God, who at various times and in various ways spoken in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these days spoken to us by His Son, who has been appointed heir to all things through Him, or through whom all He has made the worlds, who being the brightness, there's that brightness again, the light, the Shekinah glory and the express image of his person. So when we continue to read on in verse 10, it says, and there under his feet, as it was paved work of sapphire. So again, it goes back there, there's his feet, and he describes what's under his feet. The description here is under his feet, the fact that there's feet only by logic would say that there's legs and a body. But maybe that's all he could handle. Maybe that's all the brightness, all of the glory that he could see and handle. Because it's very clear that if you see the face of God, you will not live. Do you remember that Moses, when he was hidden in that cave and the Shekinah glory went by, what happened to him? He was blind. He was white as white, as white could be, bleached out. The glory was so bright. So can you imagine what it, must, what it would be like if you seen Jesus, our God, face to face? You couldn't take it. And so I'm suggesting that He gives God, or God gives to His people, and I would even say to us today, glimpses, little glimpses of His Shekinah glory, little glimpses of the things that he, we couldn't even imagine or hope for, the beauty of His majesty, It says, and it was like the very heavens in its clarity. The word for clarity is tohar, T-O-H-A-R. This is the first of two times it will be used in the Bible in Psalms 89, 44. It's used in a negative way. It literally signifies brightness, ceremonial purification and glory of this remarkable vision that we behold. Matthew Henry gives this advice, the sapphires are the pavement under his feet and not in our hearts. Thus, the believer sees the face of Jesus far clearer discoveries of the glorious justice and holiness of God than he ever saw under terrifying convictions. And through the Savior holds communion with the Holy God. What Matthew Henry is saying here is that most precious gems is used as a mere place for the feet of the Lord. For the feet of the Lord. The precious place for Him to put His feet. I'm just picturing that in my own mind, how glorious that would be to have that glimpse of our God. And, these, and Moses was getting it. You know, we see this, you know, I titled it Moses on the Mountain. This is one of an incredible mountaintop experience that Moses and the rest of these guys will get. Moses will get the ultimate, but they will get to see pieces of it as we see. They will have the cloud. That's how God reveals himself to them like a consuming fire over the tops of the mountains. But Moses gets a little bit more. So let's not fix our eyes or even something so precious as that, right? The... the, the beautiful place where he put his feet. Instead, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the source, the creator of even such magnificent things. Do you know that each one of you are magnificent? Each one of you are beautiful. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. That is incredible. That's why when i when I First open up in prayer and listen to that song. Sometimes I just don't feel like that, right? But regardless of the feelings that we have and the moments that we go through, we are still precious in the sight of the Lord. We are beautiful. In verse 11 it says, But on the nobles of the children of Israel he did not lay his hand. This is a curious curious word. It's introduced here, which is translated nobles. It is atsil, A-T-S-I-L. And it's the only found twice in the Bible here, and Isaiah 41.9. Instead of elders, they are called A-T-S-I-L. The word gives a sense of separation. In other words, the verse explains the use of the word. If we paraphrased it to say, he would say something like this, but on the separated of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hand. Then we could grasp why the word is used. These men were granted the right to have close proximity with the Lord because of their separated status. They were sold out. They were hopelessly devoted to the Lord, to our God. It's interesting that Moses got to go a little bit further. You remember with me, when the priests would do their sacrifices in the temple, they would go in. They were the only ones that could go in. What's interesting here, that Moses was the only one that's going to go in. Aaron is going to be on the outside, right? They used to tie a rope the priest when he went in, in case he bellied up, and they would drag him out. So there's kind of a picture here, symbolic picture, and it says in these verses that it shows us these men actually saw the God of Israel. What did they see? if we take it at face value, it says they saw God. God is what? God is spirit. Spirit manifests itself in the cloud. Hmm, I'm processing, bear with me. But if it's spirit, if he's spirit, God is spirit he manifested himself over this cloud and the cloud came down over the mountain so that the people the 70 elders and Aaron or Aaron and her who are left behind are able to see the shekinah glory of god they seen god but in the form of spirit or of the cloud I think a lot of times we see that too, but we don't stop and realize it. We don't stop and think about how God reveals Himself to us sometimes. He manifests Himself to us in various ways. Remember, we just read that. Various times and in various ways. Yeah crazy. I don't understand it all. I'm telling you. It's been driving me nuts, man. I was telling them I'm not a, I'm not really an OT person, right? I'm not really an Old Testament person. And I like, I like the New Testament where I can fall into grace. But man, this is some, this is some dynamite stuff. I hope I'm relaying it. I really hope you're hearing This is some good, good stuff, man. So check out verse 11. So they saw God and they ate and drank. Whoops. Here's another one of those things that they use for contradiction in the Bible. So I'm going to let you work that out, but I'm going to give you the two debates. And then you can fight that out yourself, right? Some people think that they are two separate occurrences. They saw God, and then they ate. I like that, because that kind of falls in with, you know, nobody can see God or see the face of God. But it also, they also say that while they dined at the peace offering and the sacrifices, they saw God. I was thinking of the last Supper. I don't know if this has any bearing again. this is just the thought that just now popping in. But at the last Supper, who is Jesus? Jesus is God, incarnated in the flesh. So they were having the Last Supper with, you might say, with God. Just a thought, just something else for you to think about. So even in my notes here, I wrote, I'm sorry, but I'll have to let you work that out. Because it goes deep, man, it goes deep. It goes so deep, it goes so deep. So in light of all the scriptures that we've talked about so far, it might be seem it might seem that the first is right. But I honestly don't know. In verses 12 to 15, it said, then the Lord said to Moses, come to me on the mountain. And he adds, and be there. Hmm. You know, you just kind of read through that and you go, okay, come up to the mountain and be there. But he's telling him pretty point blank, come up on the mountain and be there. He doesn't give him a time frame. He doesn't say, come up there and and just wait for me. He says, says, come on up. So there's some obedience that takes place here with Moses. Some obedience that takes place because one commentator said they must have been, God must have been testing his patience. We can really assume that when the meal, when the meal ended that all the people descended the mountain and went back to their camp, based on the events of Exodus 32, which we will get to at some other point. At some point, that's when the Lord said to Moses, come on up the hill. So the God whom the elders saw as Jehovah. And this name, is, this name is mentioned 11 times in the chapter. The three times the word God is mentioned in only the last section from verses 9 to 13. So they are given in relation to who the Lord is. He is the God of Israel. He is the God who can reveal Himself to the nobles. Remember we just talked about who the nobles were. And he is the God who displays his power on the mountain, lowering of the cloud. It is the God now who petitions Moses to come up. And it's for a very specific purpose. And he does so. So Moses has been called for this very specific purpose To come up this mountain, there's a job that's got to be done. Remember, we talked in the beginning, the commandments were verbal, and now they're written. Somebody has to go pick them up. Somebody has to go get them, and the man is Moses. Moses is going to go up there. So it says also in verse 12, the reason why, right? And I will give you tablets of stone and the law and commandments which I have written that you may teach them. So he's going up there to get the law and the commandments. And then the other purpose is to teach them. In Deuteronomy five twenty-two, it says, these words the Lord spoke to all your assembly in the mountain from the midst of the fire the cloud and the thick darkness with a loud voice, and he added no more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone, and Moses said, He gave them to me. Exodus thirty-one eighteen. And when he had made an end of speaking with him on Mount Sinai, he gave Moses two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written by the finger of God in Exodus 34:28 So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights he neither ate bread nor drank water and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant the 10 commandments The stone tablets are given as a picture of the spiritual state they're durable but they're capable of being broken In this God knew that we would break the 10 commandments It was therefore a picture of the hardness of the human heart, and don't we know how hard the human heart is? The human heart upon which no impression can be made except by God's finger. Paul explains this in the New Testament with the coming of the new covenant. In the second letter to the Corinthians, he says, clearly you are an epistle of Christ ministered by us. Written, catch this, mark this down, highlight it. Written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of flesh. That is the heart. If I go back to the beginning when I was talking about the, the idea of the verbal versus the writing down. I don't know where you're at, but I'm getting older. And I have to write things down now because I will forget. Even on my phone, I have an app where I can take notes. Once you write them down, it's easier to remember them or you can always refer back. And so these, these are not written on tablets of stone. Now they're written on the tablets of flesh. These laws, these commandments are for our benefit. And we need to write them on our heart. We need to operate in those. the entire giving of the law with Moses breaking the first tablets and then a second set. You remember he came down and the party was going on and he broke them all, threw them down to the ground and he broke all the commandments. Kind of symbolizing when you break one, you've broken them all. And so there's a second set made. The first tablet, and then a the second being made, is a picture of Christ. God made the first set of tablets and recorded the law on them, but man was incapable of obeying them. Pictured by Moses dashing them to the ground and breaking them into pieces. The second set of tablets was made by Moses, and then the Lord wrote the commands on them. This pictures Christ who came from man, yet who fulfilled God's word. Without breaking it, the human deity of Christ is the stone of the tablets, unbroken, and who is the Word of God. And all of God's kids said, what? Are you with me? I can't hear you. I want to know if you guys are out here. I mean, if we're sleeping, we need to wake up. I don't think you're sleeping. But it's okay to say amen once in a while if you believe it. In verse 13, so Moses arose with his assistant Joshua and they went up to the mountain of God. Joshua appears again together with Moses and they both ascend to the mountain of God. The mountain God is the mountain of God is referred to as as um, connecting with him. They're going up to connect with God. Joshua is being brought along because he was not only the general of the forces as we saw in the battle of Amalek, but he was also close and trusted assistant. He was second in line. He was going to take over. He was accepted by Moses and designated representative and successor. And in verse 14, he said to the elders, wait here, wait here for us until we come back. All that is said here is that they were to wait for the return of Moses and Joshua. No time frame was given for the return. But verse 12, as I said before, says that they should remain there. No time frame, just get up there and wait. And so they did. The time was unspecified. What is implied though is that no matter how long they were gone, they were to wait there and not to ascend the mountain where the presence of God was. Don't be going ahead of God, wait for God. They did what they were told, they went up and they waited. They're waiting for God to call them up the rest of the way. Don't be so impatient. God's timing is always right. God's timing is always perfect. Again in verse 14 it says, Indeed Aaron and Hur are with you. If any man has difficulty, let him go to them. So they put them in charge at the bottom of the hill. Aaron and Hur are given special attention. You'll remember that Aaron and Hur held up Moses' hands to ensure that the battle would end in Amalek's defeat. Josephus says that Hur is the husband of Miriam and thus he would be the brother-in-law of Moses and Aaron, just for side. And in verse 15, it says, they went up to the mountain and a cloud covered the mountains. See, now the affairs of the camp had been settled and they went on up to the mountain. Scholars say that Moses went up on the mountain with with Joshua a part of the way, and then he was called again. He will go up the rest of the way alone, but it doesn't say this. That is only speculation because verse 13 and 15 and 18 have the same accent, if you will. Moses went up in each verse. Moses went up. Moses went up. Moses went up. It doesn't say Moses and Joshua. It says Moses went up. In verses 16 and 17, now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai. And the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called out to Moses in the midst of the cloud. The sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. Israel. So he waited six days, and on the seventh, he called him up. It's important to note that in the Hebrew, it doesn't say cloud, it says a cloud. A cloud could be a specific cloud, and I would say it was the Lord. It's the same cloud that guided the people through their wanderings, through the Red Sea, and, through, and which brought them to where they are even now. It's the cloud with which conceals the glory of the Lord, and in which the glory is revealed. You can only picture it, being at the bottom of the mountain, and this cloud descends. And it says it's like a consuming fire to those that are looking up to it. It must have been a beautiful sight. Could have also been frightening if he didn't know who it was. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud and he went up to the mountain, into the mountain. Moses alone is recorded as going up, but we know Joshua was with him. It doesn't say that, but we know that Joshua was with him. The picture we see then realized at the layout of the temple. The people remained outside, again, where the high priest went alone and through the veil, behind the veil. Thus Sinai, or the bush of the thorn, is given as a picture of that which is unapproachable but to the high priest. The people of Israel waited while Moses and Joshua went up Jesus is that high priest pictured by Moses and the unnamed Joshua He wore a crown of thrones, thorns sorry pictured by the name, naming of the Sinai in verse 16 And like bookends, the names are calling out to us. Moses is the one to receive the law. Jesus is the one to fulfill it. Even the names fit the picture. Moses, he who draws out, is the one to draw out the law for the people. Joshua, Yah's salvation, is there to picture Jesus, the Lord who saves, who fulfills it for us today. Today, in verse 18, it says that Moses was on the mountain 40 days and for 40 nights. Moses received a lot of information those 40 days. 40 days is 40 is just not some arbitrary number either, or amount of time. The 40 days are rightly de- defined by Bullinger as a time of evident probation, the people had been governed, had been given the law, and now they were to be tested that the law without their leader to supervise them, how would they fare? Not well. The number 40 is all out through the Bible. So what does all this mean for us? I'm going to share some stuff with you just from my heart. Mountaintop experiences. I no way want to diminish this particular mountaintop experience that they had. It's definitely a one-of-a-kind, definitely a one-of-a-kind and a glorious one. But I would like to say this, is that I think we have all had mountaintop experiences. As I mentioned, we started that we have a men's retreat coming up. And we always talk about all the mountaintop experience, how we were up there, and we were away from the city and the hustle and bustle, and we were in God's Word, and we're eating good food, and we're hanging out, and we're fellowshipping. getting ministered to, and oh man, it was such a great time. We had an afterglow, and oh, it was just so good. What a great mountaintop experience. I think that it's more than that. Yes, that's a mountaintop experience. But I would think, and I would say this, is that I think we have a lot of mountaintop experiences, but we're, we're, we have a wrong attitude, maybe a wrong, no gratitude. And what I mean by that is that, and for each one of us is different, right? And I'll just be real with you. For me right now, this is a mountaintop experience. This is incredible. Not everybody gets to do this. It's a mountaintop experience. You don't have to go to the mountain. In fact, you can have a mountaintop experience anywhere. You know that when you go to the mountains, I don't know about you, but I get winded. It's way up in the air, and you know, it's rocky, and up and down, and all that, and it's a lot of work. I'm a desert rat. I like the desert. But i got to tell you, I have mountaintop experience in the desert. I have my little motor home, and I go out in the middle of nowhere where nobody's at. And I love to go out when there's a full moon. And this place where I go, it's out by Palm Springs, Desert Hot Springs. And it's down in the valley, and there's, uh, you can see the outline of the mountains in the distance picture this with me. It's dark. It's pitch black. You could just barely see the outlines of the mountains around you. It's glorious. The stars are out. There are so many, there are so many stars. You couldn't even attempt to count them. There's just stars and stars and stars, shooting stars and big stars and little stars and superstars. And it's beautiful. And where I go, back over here is this mountains. And the full moon comes up over the mountain. Oh, man, it's so cool. You look at the mountain and it starts to glow. And when it starts to glow, I think of the clouds coming down on the mountain of Sinai the power, the majesty, the Shekinah glory of the Lord sitting on top of the mountain. And it's glowing, and it's glowing. It's getting brighter, and it's getting brighter. And then all of a sudden the moon crests. And you a little bit, and a little bit, and a little bit, and a little bit. The next thing you know, you got this big glorious full moon. And the valley is lit up like lights you never seen. And it just continues to travel, continues to travel, and travel. That's a mountaintop experience for me, man. That is a cat's meow, I love it. I love it. Take my Bible out there, just it. I'm by myself. It's incredible. That's just one type of a mountaintop experience. It depends on your attitude and your perspective. Just the other night, I went home. I've been here all day. It was kind of a hectic day. But I went home, and you know, I opened the door. I go through the garage door, and I open the door. my wife is sitting on the couch. And she turns around with a big smile and says, welcome home. I'm glad you're home. My heart melted. It's a mountaintop experience. It goes back to the attitude and gratitude that we have. There are many ways things are manifested. We get a glimpse, just a glimpse of His Shekinah glory. Mountaintop's experiences are revealed for the glory of God. And all of His majesty and marvelous creation that we get to enjoy And so when I think of Moses going up on the mountain, it was a lot of work. And he had to endure his patience, right? Because he didn't know when God was going to call him up. Six days he had to just hang out. And on the seventh day, okay, come on up. But the payoff, the payoff, man, wait on the Lord. Wait for His glory to shine. Wait for His glory to shine. Mountaintop experiences are revealed for the glory of God and for us as a reminder that God is with you and me. I think it's important to remember these things. We get so wrapped up in the hustle and bustle of everyday life, especially with all the stuff going on. It's easy to get distracted. It's easy just to really fall into the pit of all the stuff that's going on. I'm going to close with this. This is kind of a, I don't even know who wrote it. It's a poem, but it's the complete story of of the message that we've been talking about. So let me just read it to you and then we'll call it a day. Is called meeting with God on the mountain. Then Moses went up, also Aaron, Nahab, and Abi, and 70 of the elders of Israel. Well, those 70 went up too. And they saw God of Israel, something marvelous to their grandchildren, they could tell. And there under his feet, as it were a paved work of sapphire stone, and it was like the very heavens in its clarity there below the feet of his awesome throne. But on the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hand. So they saw God and they ate and drank a marvelous feast, one ever so grand. Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and be there, and I will give you tablets of stone and the law of the commandments for you to share, which I have written that you may teach them. So Moses arose with his assistant uh, Joshua, together they did trod, and Moses went up to the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Indeed, Aaron and Hur are with you. If any man has difficulty, let him go to them. This you shall do. Then Moses in the mountain, he went, and a cloud covered the mountain for this event. Now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Such were his ways. The sight of the glory of God was like a consuming fire, as the record does tell. On the top of the mountain, 40 days and 40 nights, the time that he spent there. So Moses went there to meet with God and to bring back instructions for Israel. And the instructions according to his words, these words which the Bible does now tell. And all of this was a part of the story to lead us to coming Jesus. Each step reveals a bit more of his glory. Each step is revealed in his word to us. Lord God, we thank you for this marvelous book. We thank you for all the wonder it does to relate to us. Give us the burning desire each day to take a look and to bring us even closer to our Lord Jesus. Yes, through him, to you we shall eternally praise. Yes, O God, so it shall be for eternal days. Hallelujah and amen. Lord Jesus, we come before you tonight and we thank you, Lord. We thank you for who you are. You are the God of Israel. You're the God of our salvation, and we're so grateful that You sent Your Son to pay a price that we could never pay. You are an incredible God. Thank You, Lord, for the revealing of Your Shekinah glory. Thank You, Lord, that You give us just a glimpse, just a taste, just a sample, Lord, even in the full moons and the rises and the stars, in the winks of those who love us, Lord, in the praises of your people. In these times, Lord, that we can come together and exhort each other, challenge each other, charge each other, and be there for one another. Lord, I just pray that you would continue to reveal yourself to each in every one of us. And Lord, I would be remiss, Lord, if I didn't just pray, Lord, I pray that everyone here is a believer. If you haven't received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, today is the day of salvation, the scriptures tell us. It's just a short little prayer, but you got to mean it with your whole heart. Something like this, Lord Jesus, I recognize I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Please, Lord, come into my heart. Cleanse me from within. Lord, I commit my life to you. I commit all that I have. I don't have much, Lord, but I give it to you. Use it, Lord. Help me walk all my days with you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys so much.